this uh, uh, last hour of speaking to you is an important uh, uh, topic. It's about the uh, you know, Holy Spirit, and uh, this might be unusual that we're going to spend an hour talking about the Holy Spirit, because uh, I will ask you a personal question. You're all from fine churches, but when was the last time you heard a sermon just on the Holy Spirit? Okay, that's a very gracious answer. Yeah, it has been a while. All right, so here we are. We're going to talk about uh, the Spirit. And uh, interesting, you would think that the founding group and so forth uh, that uh, oversees uh, NANC, that they, uh, not NANC, ACBC, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, wouldn't have much time for the Holy Spirit. These people know the Bible backwards and forwards and press ahead, press ahead with it and so forth. But even from the beginning, someone who was certainly not from the charismatic or Pentecostal ranks, uh, Jay Adams, he was teaching at Westminster at the time, that uh, he, in the book, Confident to Counsel, the very second chapter of the book is entitled, let me look it up for you, it's entitled, The Holy Spirit and Counseling. And so the reason they have this question here, they want you to be fully reliant upon the Holy Spirit as you do your counseling. But there are some aspects that are floating out there and beliefs about the Holy Spirit that could maybe possibly cause us to fall off the edge and be attributing too much to the Holy Spirit of, of going on at this time. So it's a very important topic for us and uh, very uh, valuable. But he, uh, this is a great, uh, in this book, Confident Council, this is a great chapter uh, just on the, the Spirit for those of us who are from maybe a more conservative, orthodox uh, uh, view for us to be reminded about uh, His work and presence in our lives. So, uh, so it starts out uh, pretty general, pretty basic. Uh, who or what is the Holy Spirit? And for most of us who are uh, conservative, uh, Orthodox, evangelicals, uh, since we've never heard a sermon or anything like that or been to a Sunday school class where there's been an hour teaching on the Holy Spirit, you're thinking, well, what can I write? That's going to be a page and a half long. So I've got some ideas down here to not just so you can fill up a page and a half, but things to think about and be aware of and really uh, have as part of your life uh, dealing with the Spirit. So basically, uh, who he is, uh, and here, focus on not so much what he, he does. And I just have a one-liner. He's the third person of the Godhead and some, some references. But to go a little bit further, uh, you know, he, he re- as, as the other uh, persons of God, Father and Son, are persons, the Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, he has attributes of a person. And uh, the attributes of a person, a person has intelligence. Certainly the Holy Spirit has intelligence. Uh, people, people have feelings. The Holy Spirit 
has feelings. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. We looked earlier in Ephesians chapter 4. Remember looking at those verses 22 through 24 where that introduces to us the put off, put on. Uh, but then as you look at that, in, in about the middle there, before you get to the end of Ephesians 4, we're just, talk, you know, we're just talking about communication between people. What's the big deal? It says there, you know, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So how we relate, how we speak, how we listen to others, that, that's very, very important to, to God. And so, yes, so he has intelligence and feelings. Uh, he has a will, too. Uh, the will has, you know, he uh, has uh, intercedes and does those things. All right, so that's the person part. And then also, uh, he is God. There's a, there's a great section uh, in this book, Basic Theology, that uh, talks about who the Holy Spirit is. And so that will give you uh, these ideas. Hopefully, we'll get you going, just sort of prime the pump. But then there's all kinds of things you can talk about what the Holy Spirit does or does not do. And so I've listed some of these things. Not everything is covered here, as I've got them more detail in some of the other questions. But uh, there's lots of things here. Participated in creation. Remember Genesis 1-2, the Spirit hovered over, over the waters. Uh, inspired the writers of the Bible. We talked about that in the... Uh, the first section we did yesterday, Bibliology. And then uh, been Spirit's very active throughout even the uh, Old Testament uh, there. And uh, now every believer is marked and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit as a, a guarantee for our inheritance. We are set apart. We are, are marked. It also ministers to the world by convicting people's hearts concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Familiar passage from John 16 that the Lord spoke just before his arrest and then crucifixion. Earlier today, we looked at 2 Corinthians 3.18, and for those of us involved in this kind of discipleship, it's, we must remember that uh, the Holy Spirit's doing this transforming uh, work. And uh, he fellowships uh, with us. And there's a couple of references to that. You probably have a blank and uh, referring to Romans 8.26, and he prays for us. Oh, it's great to have him uh, interceding. You know, we don't, there's things we don't even know what to pray about. And it, he offers those prayers, those groans on, on our, our behalf as we submit to him. And he leads us in increasingly righteous life. It's just beautiful to read. Romans 8, 12 through 14, just all of that beginning of Romans 8, what he's doing. And then uh, he tells us that we are God's children. Romans uh, 8, 15 and 16, that's uh, where the Spirit, it says, testifies or manifests to our spirit that we are children of God. One of the major ways we know whether we are saved or not saved. So those are just who or what is the, the Holy Spirit. So let's go on to the, the second question. What role does the Spirit play in the believer's life and the counseling process? So some of these things we've already talked about, and the way the questions are framed, you are going to use 
some of the same phraseology again and again and talk through some of the issues. We talked about this before, that uh, he regenerates believers in Christ. Titus 3.5 says that he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by, by the Holy Spirit. He did that, that work. And there, once again, those famous passages of Jesus meeting with uh, uh, Nicodemus. Then another thing that it talks about in uh, the New Testament, talks about being uh, baptized. It's an interesting uh, phrase, and there's been a lot of controversy down through the ages among believers in Christ. You know, what does the baptism mean? And here's just an uh, incident of it. For we were all baptized by one uh, spirit into one body, whether we were Jews or Greeks or slave or free, and we're all given one spirit to drink. And uh, then uh, the uh, 1 Corinthians uh, twelve seven talks about how we've all been uh, baptized into Christ and given gifts for the goodness of others. Yeah. And then uh, here makes the statement, at the time of salvation, the Spirit comes to live in each believer. Now that, that happens to be uh, our belief, that the, the Spirit comes in terms of baptism, he comes just one time uh, and is in every believer's life. Now, what, ha- what happens is there are a number of folks who are believers who believe that the baptism usually occurs at a later time and that that baptism of the Holy Spirit comes and when you know it has happened to you is when you start speaking in, in tongues. Okay? So we do not have that understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit at this time. We believe everyone who is regenerate uh, and exercise this understanding of that regenerate by accepting Christ in faith. At that time, they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. They are receiving basically the person of the Holy Spirit. They receive all of the, the Spirit of God. Um, our brothers and sisters, for example, our brothers and sisters that are part of the uh, Assembly of God, they, uh, you can be a believer. But then uh, it's not until you, you can be a believer, uh, but then it's not until you speak in tongues that uh, that certifies that you have been really baptized and then that you are then able to serve in ministry in, a, uh, in the church. And so they have a very different view of, of baptism. And so we, we certainly... Uh, love and we respect them, but uh, we don't we don't understand the whole counsel of God in the same way there when it comes to talking about baptism. So we wouldn't, uh, as you're counseling someone, you wouldn't think, okay, this person is a believer, but the reason they really can't live a more godly life is because they haven't been baptized by the Holy Spirit. 
No, we would see how you can start, you know, getting into first and second class Christians here, and some have the spirit, some don't have the spirit. It might seem like, oh, you're splitting hairs, but it can make a it can make a, a very much of a difference. You have full spirit, you have the whole spirit to exercise sanctification uh, in your life. So you may be from, you know, more of a charismatic assembly of God uh, persuasion. And so uh, I do not want you to write ever, uh, no matter where you are on any of the exams, do not write what you do not think is true. You write what you believe is true. You back it up and uh, uh, see what God does uh, there and give your uh, certainly scriptural references and so forth. And we talked about earlier, if you have theological differences, controversy, the way to do it is to work with Scripture, have uh, you know clear passages, uh, interpret obscure ones, and, uh, uh, and to make sure that you're handling that Word of God according to the uh, context. So, good. Now, uh, in the three eyes there, it's important to realize that the indwells them uh, permanently. Yes, we do our understanding of that once you are saved, if you're really saved, you are you are saved. And that's the, the spirit in the time of the church. This is what the time that we live in. The spirit does not come and go. It appears in the Old Testament that the spirit came and went. Uh, and that we'll talk about filling next, but that could be more of a filling mode uh, there. But for us, we have the uh, fullness and baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he dwells us, indwells us permanently. One of the great things under number four that the Spirit does, it seals us. He seals us for the day of redemption, that day when we will be glorified, that day when it comes to a, we will be with the Lord in heaven, that day when come that we receive our, our new bodies and uh, so forth. Also a neat thing that the Holy Spirit does, it's very, very important, is that the Holy Spirit bestows on each believer uh, gifts. Each of you sitting here that are, you have, you have a gift or gifts from the Holy Spirit that uh, you need to exercise. And it's sort of like physical exercise. The more you, the more you use it, the, uh, the, the stronger you get at it. And there's aspects of, of training and learning and so forth, but uh, to be taking it seriously and uh, discerning from the Holy Spirit and discerning other people around you. What are your uh, gifts and how you can use them in his uh, body uh, the church. Then here, under six, also the Spirit, uh, also Christians can be filled with the Holy Spirit and give some references there. And I'm going to give you two definitions of the filling of the Spirit. The, the first one there, A, that's more characteristic of before the resurrection of uh, Christ, before Pentecost. The second definition, B, that is more from Pentecost on. Okay, So let me explain what A means. An experience of grace which will express itself in a greater witness to Christ. Uh, 
or you can say this as opposed to uh, greater witness to Christ or special service for him. And uh, as an example here, take Luke, uh, I think it's Luke chapter 1, verse 15. And it's referring to John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist had a very specific role that uh, he was to fulfill and certainly uh, did that in the power of the Holy Spirit. But he did not have the Holy Spirit in the sense of the way we have the Holy Spirit now in dwelling in us uh, permanently. Remember, Jesus said none of that was going to happen until after he was crucified and went to the Father, and then they would send the Holy Spirit, and that happened at uh, Pentecost, Penta for five, fifty, fifty days after uh, his death and resurrection, fifty days. So that's referring to those when you had certain uh, prophets in the Old Testament talking about being filled with the Spirit uh, to do a certain uh, work or act. Then uh, controlled by the Holy Spirit uh, is referring to a, uh, a verse in Ephesians. Unfortunately, I don't have the reference there. But it's one that don't be controlled by... Uh, don't be controlled by wine and debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit there. And uh, uh, that's the type of filling that we're talking about. And when we think about that is being controlled more by the Holy Spirit. And that's actually a large part of, of counseling, is that you're trying to help that person cooperate with God and to be more filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's something that you're wrestling with yourself, to be each day more and more controlled by him. And as you read, uh, let's see, I said Ephesians. It may be, is Galatians, huh? Is it Galatians? Where is it? Ephesians 5, 18? Thank you. Uh, it's in uh, Galatians in chapter 5 where it talks about, you know, being in step with the Holy Spirit. Being, that's a, a similar, being filled uh, with him. So this is very important. And uh, uh, what I want to do is just talk about here, that may manifest itself in a heightened worship, a greater love of others, uh, may be being controlled more by the Spirit, that certainly is going to have a manifestation in progressive sanctification, more complete sanctification, uh, and or in an increase in the power in, uh, in ministry. So our filling uh, with the Holy Spirit, it may occur many times in a believer's life, but remembering that baptism by the Spirit is once and for all. Okay. Uh, let's see. And if you have if you have this book here, I'll read it to you. But I want to just talk about on page four thirty eight. It just has a tremendous. Is it four thirty eight? Yeah, it has a it has this diagram in here that's just very helpful about uh, baptism and filling. So across here at the top, baptism. Yeah, occurs only once in each believer's life. Filling is a repeated experience. 
than under baptism? Never happened before the day of Pentecost. Filling occurred in the Old Testament. Then under baptism of the Holy Spirit again, uh, it's true of all believers. Okay? It's not necessarily experienced by all in the filling part. The baptism, it can't be undone, and the filling, that can be lost where we're not being fully controlled by him. The baptism results in a position in Christ, and uh, the filling results in power for ministry or to live. This baptism occurs when we believe in Christ, and the filling occurs throughout the Christian's life. Baptism, once again, uh, no prerequisite except faith in Christ, and filling depends on our yieldedness to uh, the Spirit. So that's some of the, the difference uh, there between those two. And one of the key things, I just want to you know, explore with you whether you believe in the baptism as a first and primary work of the Holy Spirit coming to faith or whether you're thinking baptism is a second work of the Holy Spirit and there's believers that do not have uh, that. Good. Now, under B, in the counseling process, the Holy Spirit is the actual teacher uh, there. So that, that is something for us to really remember. And that was, that was one of the, the great things in the Competent to Counsel book that uh, uh, Adams just did a great job helping even in the beginning of the movement for uh, counselors, biblical counselors, to realize that it's the Lord doing uh, the work. Okay, So you see some very similar things transforming in our lives, Second Corinthians 3.18, counselor, and we work under the Spirit. And, uh, you know, just as you're getting ready before you are meeting with your uh, counselee, just to, just to be praying that the Holy Spirit would, you know, do your work. And uh, as it says here in notes, you know, well, Spirit, please, will you allow me to present the scriptures that are going to be most important and most helpful? We have this whole Bible, but you only have a few minutes with this person. You know, there's so many things that could be said. Uh, you know, you need the Spirit's help. You don't go down some some rabbit trail. You don't push too hard or hold back. You need help there. You need that kind of wisdom and guidance that uh, he will provide. And uh, you're praying for the Spirit's application to their heart. It's not going to be your great, you know, airtight argument that you give them from Scripture that's going to change their mind, to give them a a good and reasonable and adequate, certainly handling of the scripture. The Lord wants us to do that, but it, what really changes heart is the uh, the spirit, and is it's the title in uh, Paul Tripp's book. We want to see ourselves as instruments in the Redeemer's hand, instruments by uh, the Spirit, and then uh, that last one enables both counselor and counselee to live a godly life. Let's take a moment and turn to 2 Peter 1 3. 2 Peter 1 3. 
This verse, we believe that is, uh, it is referring to the, to the Holy Spirit. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And there we're talking about power. We're not talking about um, the, like in Star Wars, the, you know, the force be with you, you know, and, and helping you. That's an impersonal force there. This divine power, this is the Holy Spirit and all the things that come as po- for grace to us. All things we need for, in some of the translation, we'll say for life and godliness. In this translation, it puts the two together and says, for a godly life. And so this, this verse and this understanding and accepting this verse is, is really key to this, the whole process. Because what will happen is the person will be encouraged to follow Christ. And they, their sinful nature will have a pushback. And it will come out in different ways. But basically they're saying, uh, they'll say in a polite way, I, I can't do that. And so you, in a very gentle and kind way, if it's for them to take a step toward living a more godly life, this is a very key verse to share with them about they do have the power to live a more godly life. So is it really that you can't do it, or is it that you won't do it? There's a big difference between can't and won't. Uh, So to instill and give them hope that they really do have uh, this, this ability. And then it, it goes on, verse 4, Through these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. That's what we're talking about. We're helping person not to be living according to their deceitful desires that Paul talked about, in Ephesians, but now living to participate in the divine nature, you know, moving from escape from the corruption of the world caused by these evil desires. This is really a brand new, fresh way of looking at uh, life. And so what you're going to do in these verses here under the Holy Spirit, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. You're going to help them do that. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And mutual affection, love. You're going to help, help them continuing to progress to be living as a child of God. But it's the Holy Spirit who is, is enabling both the person to do this and for what you say to have a supernatural effect. Because the real gem comes down in in verse 8. As we wrestle to do this, as we wrestle to grow in progressive sanctification with all the strength the Lord has given us, it says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, 
they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. What kind of life is that? In your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will know the Lord. Now this knowledge, this use of the word knowledge here, is not um, knowledge just knowing facts. This is knowledge in terms of a personal relationship uh, with God. In the Old Testament, remember in the King James, it talked about so-and-so knew his wife, and they were talking about sexual intercourse, that kind of close knowledge. Same things being talked about here. As, as we continue to grow as a child of God, the more we can understand God's will and have a deeper and deeper relationship uh, with him and understand his, his good and pleasing uh, will. So that uh, gives you at least something to get started, to hang your hat on of what you're talking about. How does the Holy Spirit work in the counseling process? And like I said, you know, that chapter in Competent to Counsel is a very good chapter uh, on that. Even though it was written a long time ago, uh, it, was, it has great uh, information. All right. So let's do this one here about the uh, Holy Spirit guiding Christians? If so, what means and methods does he use? Um, This is, you're here back now to uh, one of the questions that they worked on earlier. What are you going to say about uh, miracles and prophecy and speaking in tongues? What are you going to say here? Um, and this, this you need to have uh, a clear understanding because, once again, you're going to run up against someone's going to say, uh, you're going to be teaching from the Word of God, and they're going to say, but God told me to do this. And how are you going to, going to, going to handle that? For a lot of people, once somebody says the statement, God told me this, uh, it sort of knocks the wind out of our our sails, and ooh, wow! I don't want to I don't want to contradict God, but no, if, if God really is saying that, we never want to contradict Him. But what people sometimes use in saying God told me this, that had to be very subject that God really told him. So this is this is something uh, here that's very important in our counseling because people will justify all kinds of sinful and bizarre behavior by this kind of a statement to their own deceitful thinking because they want to do what they want to do when they want to do it and uh, uh, also use it to uh, try, as I said, you know, cut your counseling out that you're doing from the scriptures. So let's look at it here. Uh, Does the Holy Spirit guide Christians? Now, I will tell you that um, there are many that are a part of ACBC that their answer is no. We have a very, very good friend, and he's one of the, the major men that oversees the direction of ACBC and biblical counseling in this country, Steve Viers. As a pastor at Faith Baptist Church in Lafayette, uh, originally we studied there. We're very close close to them. We share things back and forth. 
But uh, Steve says the Holy Spirit never guided him to do anything. That's, that's very interesting. Where, uh, when Brad and I talk to him, uh, we think the Holy Spirit guides us in quite a bit of a lot of things. So we're very much on that. We're very, very close friends. I serve on a, a committee with him and all. And that really rarely comes up. And he is, uh, the last, I gave a presentation at the Biblical Counseling Coalition about what God is doing here. And uh, Steve at the end stood up. And he didn't have to do this. And uh, he, he just said that he admires to the utmost what God has done at Grace Fellowship Church. And he says in terms of a, a church structure and mobilizing the people to really have transformation as part of it is something that he would dream about happening at uh, Faith Baptist. So he has the highest regard for what God is, is doing here. But we have certainly a difference on this. And uh, back when Brad um, was writing his exam, uh, he had a great difficulty and almost did not become certified because of his answer here. We've had further dialogues with them and understanding of what we mean. And uh, they have come to uh, accept and respect and even some of the leaders that would have said, uh, you know, I don't believe God does guide uh, people originally. As we've had theological dealings with them and dialogue, uh, they have come to see, okay, I think I understand it actually the same way you guys believe it. If that's what you mean, uh, buy it. So here I want to be very, there's a lot of words. I'll read through it. You think through it as I read it. I'm trying to be very clear on this so that uh, you understand at least where we're coming from, but you eventually write what you believe. So one of the things that, that helps on this is that um, there are two quotes here by people who are very, very highly respected uh, by folks uh, in that God, the Holy Spirit does not guide Christians. And actually, people thought that these two writers were in the same camp they were until we brought these out. So these are very helpful here. So the first one is actually from, uh, from Ryrie, from uh, this book here. And uh, he makes a very strong statement in here about, and I'll, you have it there, I'll read it for you. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, you know, these are sons of God. I mean, that's what the, uh, that's what the Scriptures say in Romans eight fourteen. And then he goes on, Leading is a confirmation of sonship, for sons are led. This work of guidance is particularly the work of the Spirit. Romans 8.14 states it, and the book of Acts amply illustrates it, giving those references. This ministry of the Spirit is one of the most assuring ones for Christians. The child of God never needs to walk in the darkness. He's always free to ask and receive direction from the Spirit himself. Okay, pretty strong uh, statement there about it. Now, there are, there are definitely some qualifying remarks that we'll make later here. The next one, number two, comes from a fellow, uh, James Montgomery Boyce. James Montgomery Boyce, for years, uh, 
pastored a 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia. That's the only church he ever pastored. Uh, basically, he was the one. Uh, back in the 60s and 70s, there was a, a major challenge to the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce with R.C. Sproul, J.I. Packer, uh, and others led the, the charge where we don't even really argue about the inerrancy of Scripture anymore. But back then, there were even some of our evangelical seminaries that were starting to waver uh, on that. So, very influential. And this is what he says about it uh, in his books, Foundation of the Christian Life, a, a popular theology. The fourth way in which the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus is by directing Christian followers into Christian service and by sustaining them in it. This was to be true of the disciples, as most of the verses about the Holy Spirit in the previous pages indicate. He was to direct them in the future in precisely the way Jesus had directed them in the past. This is also true for today's follower of our Lord, and cites this example in Acts 13. And it's, uh, you know, we're setting apart Paul and Barnabas. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them all. So being sent out by the Spirit, they went down to this town, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. The Holy Spirit calls, and now this is Jim Boyce picking up again, the Holy Spirit calls men and women into specific lines of work, and goes with them as they do it. So there, uh, uh, he gives a specific example where the Holy Spirit does God, especially in the area of being called to uh, Christian work. So I will state my own personal answer to this question, is that yes, the Holy Spirit does guide his children. And uh, I want to make sure that when I wrote this answer, I said, you know, my answer isn't based on what boys said, uh, uh, my answer isn't based on what Ryrie said uh, and so forth. My, hopefully my answer is based on the uh, scriptures. Now this is type thing that you'll have a continual refining uh, of. Uh, and uh, even uh, your own elders are, are working through and discuss this. We spent a large portion of last Monday night. Uh, fortunately Roger brought it to the table and we, we talked about it and uh, even in that discussion, I think some of my my views that dealt with this uh, were were changed, and I think that uh, have become more consistent with Scripture. And so this will be an ongoing type thing. Of hopefully, as you grow and you learn of uh, what is true of the working of Him, the the Spirit. So let's talk about some means and methods. Uh, so, some information by the two previous cited authors who have been known for handling the scriptures well. Ryrie, in his book, he does not elaborate on means or methods. He just says, guided. Uh, Boyce offers the following after the previously cited quote. So, I put down exactly what he said so I couldn't uh, mishandle it. Uh, of course... It says, Boyce saying, of course, it does not always call in precisely the same way. That is probably why we are not told how the disciples at Antioch came to know that the Spirit had designated Barnabas and Saul for missionary work. Again, the fact that he calls does not, does not mean 
that we should not consciously look for the Holy Spirit leading. As those in Antioch worshipped the Lord and fasted, that is, as they were taking the work of the Lord seriously, engaged in it to the best of their ability and knowledge, the Holy Spirit spoke. The same is true for us. Boyce does not offer any further explanation other than the Holy Spirit spoke, which is exactly what uh, the uh, scriptures indicate there. Now, this next section, the double I, this is primary, primarily some thinking from Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer was also a, a Reformed uh, thinker, someone that uh, uh, typically would be uh, very, very, very suspect of uh, guidance from the, from the Holy Spirit. But uh, in, uh, his, in his writings, he, he says, he's summarizing some things like this here. He says this, uh, and these are not direct quotes, this is more of, of my reading of some of uh, Schaeffer's things. Since our devotion to God is no, uh, yeah. Since our devotion to God is primarily through our thoughts of faith, that then manifests themselves as action. So then he, he, no, I think this is a quote. I just don't have the reference anymore. And so he says, since our devotion to God is primarily through our thoughts of faith, that then manifests themselves as action. One way that the Spirit guides us is to influence our thinking. Okay? So what he, basically what he's saying here is how we uh, uh, first worship God is not that we raise our, are raising our hands or that we're, we're singing or that we're clapping or doing something demonstrative of that. We're, we worship God in spirit and in, in truth. It's a, it's a moving of our, our heart and mind, the moving of, a, of as uh, Jonathan Edwards referred to, the affections of our, of our heart. It happens in our thinking. You know, it doesn't, if we're raising our hands and, and jumping around and singing at the top of our lungs, but we're, we're not thinking thoughts that are devotional to the Lord, we aren't really uh, worshiping Him there. And so the manifestation of real worship of real faith is is how we are are thinking there, and so uh, just as it talks about the Holy Spirit, He convicts us of our sin and judgment. Is that the this the Spirit is is testifying in our own uh, thought life, and so in a, a similar way that thoughts may come into your mind that you. Not necessarily that you heard an audible voice. Uh, I can I can never say I heard an an audible voice or anything like that. Now, other people who we would greatly respect would say that oh, it was it was almost like you know the the Lord calling uh, Samuel uh, there. But I would say that the the guidance of the Holy Spirit is more of a a thought that may come into your mind that. Uh, and you you step back if you step back and think now that's an interesting idea you know where did, where did that come come from you know you're thinking you're going along and somebody you know says you know I I should uh, I should call so and so to see how he's doing today and then you end up you know calling him and you 
you find out this is just a, a terrible day for them, and then you get to pray for them. Those kind of guidings uh, by the Spirit, and like we talked about Blair and Sue Alvidra, that certainly following the Scriptures, but having a strong sense that God wanted them to go to Albania. All right, so that's what we're excuse me talking about there. Now, uh, there are important parameters or warnings to keep in mind about this. First, always remember that the primary and foremost way that God guides his children is through his revealed will contained in the scriptures. The Spirit's work there is he illuminates the scriptures to our minds. That truly is where the, God's going to guide us. It's not that, okay, you wake up in the morning and I don't, I'm not quite sure whether God wants me to get out of bed or not. I will wait till he guides me and tells me what to do next. I mean, it seems like a silly example, but uh, uh, unfortunately I have heard that. You know? Uh, so that is not what we're talking about here. The primary way is the Word of God, and the Word of God says that, uh, you know, we're to get up and work. And if you don't work, you know, you don't eat. And we're to get up and we're to, to love others, and we're to love them in a sacrificial way. We've got, we got plenty of things that the Word of God has already told us that to get out of bed and do and get, get to. Uh, so, second, if the Spirit guides in addition to the Scriptures, that guidance will never be contrary to the truths presented in Scripture. Can't, should not even get close uh, uh, there. You know, the, you, might, you might be having trouble with a, a neighbor. And uh, I would be very, very suspect if somebody said to me, um, you know, uh, that neighbor is uh, you know, so evil and God has told me that, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I should just have no dealings with that person. You know, uh, it's very clear that the Lord has said to, to love our enemies. Now, there are, there are certain times where, uh, you know, we may need to, to break uh, fellowship and relationship, but we always need to leave it, live at peace with others as much as possible uh, there. Third, all guidance that comes through thoughts is subject. Uh, as C.S. Lewis said, is that really from God or is it from the pizza you ate uh, last night? Uh, where did that thought come from? We don't know whether it came from our own thinking. Uh, and if, even if it did come from God, be humble. You know, we can always misunderstand him. Need to be very, very careful on this uh, guidance aspect. Just think about Blair and Sue uh, going to Albania. Uh, when they were talking to people, they talked to Roger and Becky, talked to a number of other people uh, uh, here. Wanted to make make sure, and if there were other people in the body of Christ that said. You know, Blair and Sue, I really don't think you should, you should go there. Uh, and they 
we're respected believers because the Word of God says there's uh, wisdom in the counsel of others. Uh, they would have to really examine uh, their thinking. Did we really? Did we really hear from God? That it was God that wanted us to go to Albania, and to really look at it uh, there. So we never want to just pull that out of the hat and then really shut down discussion with other believers. And that's that's how it can happen when you're dealing with uh, counseling. People use that. Uh, fourth, there is. No singular guidance for the church at large except from the scriptures. Um, what I'm saying there is what we talked about uh, uh, last night is that a similar type thing is that what we know is true for the word of that's true for all people at all times is only what's here in the word of God. None of us are going to have anything else that is going to be, God has told me this, and we can insert, as we talked about last night, another loose-leaf page into the the scriptures. So we don't have anything else. And fifth, any non-scriptural guidance for the local church will be confirmed by others. You can't have a leader say, God told me this, and then just take a whole group of believers, you know, uh, off and and doing something, the, that the even there with remember with those uh, with Paul and Barnabas, there were others that were involved there that recognized the you know leading of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so just wanted to go through that with you. Uh, you know, for some, you know, I'm. Uh, for some of you, I'm too restrained, probably, on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And for others of you, uh, I'm a wacko, thinking that he's uh, uh, leading in, in this way. So you wrestle with it. Uh, you wrestle with this, with the Holy Spirit. You read others that you uh, trust. Don't make your decision even on the most respected writers. You make your decision on what... The Word of God says, and how He is uh, guiding you from the illumination of uh, Scripture there on this uh, important uh, uh, topic. And uh, so, if you, and also, if you have anything to teach me further on this, I am more than open to uh, to learning and learning about the Spirit, uh, how He truly works uh, in our lives.